And I think it's so easy to look at celebrities, no matter what kind of celebrities, people who are known. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And judge. Yeah. And and compare to them. These people go through hardships. And I think people don't understand that because they only look at what they have and how glamorous it is without realizing it's really a head trip to have to live like that every single day. Welcome to the Stuff Up Podcast. My name is Stephanie, and on the last show of season two of the Stuff Up Podcast, I have my wonderful friend, my favorite person, (laughs) Randy Spelling. Thank you, Randy. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here again. You closed out my season one, too, so I thought... Closing out both. I'm the closer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that show. (laughs) Sorry, I relate a lot of things to TV. Um, as you know, <laughs> I know, <laughs> Hey, so, if it's helpful, it works. Yes. You know, you know I, I, that's what I love about pop culture and re- relating to people with pop culture. I think it's, we do that so much now, right? Yeah. So that's why, and that's when I would start to get into different shows because I'm like, well, if I can relate to people because they're watching this show, I'm going to start watching that show, but then I would get addicted to TV. And so. It was not very helpful. (laughs) And so the cycle goes, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So you are someone who is just super fantastic and easy to talk to. And I don't know why. I always get nervous, though, before I record a podcast. But then when I'm in it, I'm having fun. So I think it's just the anxiety. I I think I shared this with you once, but um, the first, I don't want to say three, four years um, that I was doing videos and social media and everything earlier on in my coaching practice. And I was like, gosh, I need to record videos. I should do this. I I have stuff I want to share. I want to reach people. And I would turn on the camera and my heart would start beating. And I'm thinking I'm at home or I'm in my office. Nobody's here. And I'm nervous why? Why is this happening? There is something about the on, like, okay, wait, people are going to hear this. And it doesn't, it's like, it's just you and I, but it's something weird with the brain. Yeah. I've tried that too. I've done a few videos on Instagram and do you know how many I deleted (laughs) and kept re-recording? I It's so common. It's so common though. I can't tell you how many people tell me all the time. They'll send me a video that a client will send me a video and they say, what do you think about this? Like, oh, it's great. And they're like, it took two hours. (laughs) And you know, it was a 30 second video, but you know, like anything, the more you do it, this is your season two, the more of a rhythm you get into and the more comfortable you get. Yes. And I've said a lot of stuff on my podcast and then I'm like, oh, I would, I actually woke up in a panic after one, after the one I did on atheism, (laughs) which is one of my favorite ones too, because I find it fun talking to people, um, especially about religion and stuff. And so I was like, uh oh, you know, and I think that comes from my background. That Uh, comes, I, I'm just going to say this. It comes from programming. Yeah. In the sense of, is I've done something bad. I can't take this back. Is it out there? Should I've had this conversation? 
And I commend you for having that conversation, given your background, because I feel like that's what we need more of in the world is people who don't necessarily share the same view, having a conversation, learning more, being curious, hey, what makes you atheist or what makes you believe or what makes you follow this versus that? And I mean, we're in a world of polarization right now. I guess we've always lived in a world of polarity, good, bad, wrong, right, light, dark. But now I feel like it is imperative. We're being asked, try and foster connectivity and understanding, even if you don't agree, to at least have a conversation. So I commend you for doing that. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, when I was telling him, um, David was his name, and he was Christian who turned atheist. And I said, remember how it was always others, like, oh, the atheists. And it was said in such derogatory tone and everything. And I'm like, why, why do we do that? We, you know, we all do that. Or we have, a lot of us tend to do that. We, it takes time to focus on not dehumanizing people and, and, putting them in these things and looking at, we're just human beings. We can have disagreements. It's fine. And we can still have grace. And I'm learning that and I, <laughs> it's, it's hard, but it's fantastic. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me should be the underpinning of religious beliefs is, is morals and values, yep. right? Like someone might not be into what you're into, but to demonize them or to look at them as less than in some way to me is just very hard because I feel like fundamentally it goes against what people stood for. Like I I can't believe and, you know, take this for what it is, but I can't believe that Jesus was on the planet right. And shunning people because of what they believed or didn't believe that that wasn't the, the message it seems like. And yet, you know, the way that that gets interpreted is sort of like same thing as what we see now, like it has to fit this. And if you don't fit this, you're out and you know, you're canceled, you're fired. You're, that's a, that's a hard stance because it's just separating and separating. And by the way, I have a good amount of friends in my life who grew up in a highly religious background. And now I would say some completely believe and have found their own way in different ways. Some went the atheist route because they were like, it was too much and too hard or traumatic for them or something rubbed them the wrong way enough to where it propelled them the other way. And so I don't think anything is right or wrong. I think it's really important to understand, Hey, if this propelled you this way, why, what was it about this that had that effect on you? Just like, you know, let's really ruffle some feathers just like uh, everything with the pandemic and, you know, the, the vaccines and the shots, it's politics. like <laughs> politics. <laughs> I know many, many, many people who have gotten vaccinated and are just fine. I also know a lot of people who had horrible side effects from the vaccine. And yet the people who had horrible side effects 
wouldn't be listened to, couldn't talk about it. It was like, no, (laughs) you don't talk about that. Like the first rule of fight club, you don't talk about fight club. And it's like, what, why that, why, why can't you talk about that? Why shouldn't you talk about that? There has to be two sides. Otherwise we're, we're only getting, like we talked about programming in one way that doesn't leave room or space for other information to come in. And then the more that like, if the government won't address certain things or it's like, just be open because the more you're closed off, the more people will pop up with different conspiracies. And then it creates this bigger thing. And then you're like, you're hiding something. Oh, it's totally. So I mean, <laughs> it's so much, right. <laughs> but, but think about this in a relationship, right? If someone comes to you and says, okay, I thought I was doing the right thing. I'm just giving an example. I'm not saying again, something's right or wrong. Like uh, here's, here's based on the information that we had, here's what we did. Now we're finding that it didn't quite work out this way, or it, it, you know, we didn't see this or, you know, now we're realizing this in small cases, this is happening and that's happening. So here's what we're going to do about it. That's all transparent. That all makes sense. But when nothing's talked about and it's like, nope, good. Nope, good. Hey, did you cheat? Nope. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, did you cheat? Nope. <laughs> it's like, what, can we talk about this? Nope. <laughs> well, why not? Or can't we just have a conversation? Nope. <laughs> then that is weird, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Fun, fun stuff. (laughs) Fun stuff. But you know, it's so funny. I mean, we're talking about politics and stuff like that, but I kind of feel like this is, it's, it's, it's in religion, it's in politics, it's in spirituality, it's in self-help. It's, it's in, it's in food. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I heard a interview the other day with a guy named um, Rob Wolf. Rob Wolf has a, a co-author. He was sort of like one of the fathers of paleo and brought that that diet out to the world. Uh, actually, it was Lawrence Cordain, and then it was Rob Wolf, and then Mark Sisson. Those were like the top three. And then he has a new book. I think it's called Sacred Cow. Uh, and they were going into what their findings about meat and you know veganism is huge right now and they're doing like meatless mondays and you know no meat fridays and different things and one the co-author was saying um for underprivileged communities where protein is harder and more expensive that do taking that away has a, a, a pretty harmful effect and you know like anything they're they're showing research to back that up um However, what I thought was really interesting is he was saying, this is not a popular book. (laughs) People (laughs) don't want to hear this. And then uh, they were saying, so who who didn't want to hear it most? Were vegans really mad? He's saying, actually, yeah, vegans were a little bothered by it. He said, who was bothered more were all the grass-fed people, the CrossFit people, the Whole30 people, the regenerative farming people, the people who support 
you know, grass fed and all of this whole movement, actually there was a backlash because they were like, please don't say, you know, that, that, that regular animals, regular cows finished on grain, which sometimes the cows aren't treated all that well. The meat profile is just the same as grass fed cows because for years now, everyone has, has sort of like touted that grass fed grass finished beef is way more healthy, higher omega threes, like much higher. So, you know, it's like you have this and then you have this, this is such high quality. This is low quality. And they were saying, look, as it stands from one comparison to the other, it's great either way. It's Mm. not that much better. So he's like, listen, I don't, I'm not condoning the treatment of the poor treatment of animals. I think that regenerative farming is the way to go and it's great for the planet and all these other things. But in terms of like meat to meat, better to have one versus none. And so I think there was a lot of pushback. And again, this is in sort of like a woke, you know, high awareness around food group that had some pushback. So just very interesting. Yeah. Well, we always want to go to, we want to go to the extremes a lot of times. So if you're starting saying, well, but you know, let's talk about in the middle and then people will get angry too. And it's, it's so much. Yeah. I could yeah. talk to you about so many different things. Um, and it's always fascinating. <laughs> you never know <laughs> where I'm going to go, right? <laughs> you have so much knowledge. I love it. Um, but I actually wanted to talk to you about your, you have such a fascinating story and I I used to be so jealous of you and your sister and people in Hollywood because when I was little, I thought that was the ultimate thing to be rich and famous. <laughs> and I know it's not now. Um, and it, I know a lot of your story, but I was wondering if you can share your background sure. and then how you became um, a life coach and... Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, so your dad's Aaron Spelling, Hollywood producer. You know, before I jump into the story, a quote came to mind and I'm probably going to completely botch this quote, but it was uh, something I saw from Jim Carrey. And he said, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they can understand that it's not what they're looking for. And I thought, wow, that, that's really interesting. I I wish that so many people could experience their greener grass because oftentimes it is such a dangling carrot because as humans, we're, we're kind of trained to look at more and better, but something becomes the object of affection. A lot of times it's money. When I have this amount of money, then I can feel better, more safe. And look, certainly helps. (laughs) I'm not going to say that. But the degree to which it changes everything, it's not true because I have met so many people and I've been there myself where we go, okay, this amount of success or this in, you know, this, uh, finish line. Like once I get here, once I have this and then you get there and you go, okay, wow. I've thought about this for so long. I've wanted this for so long, but then what your life doesn't stop. So as a human being, what we do is we go, 
what's the next thing? What's the next object of affection? And, um, you know, I think my, my life, I, I reverse engineered this a little bit because like you said, I had a famous father. Um, his name was Aaron Spelling. He was a television producer. Uh, he did do some movies as well, but uber famous. Um, and we had a lot of money, a lot of wealth, uh, a, a lot of things. And yet, you know, we're not sitting there day in and day out instead of playing with toys, playing with stacks of bills going, ah, <laughs> look at these beautiful hundreds. Let me make a little castle out of this. Wait, you're not Scrooge McDuck diving into the cash? <laughs> no, we didn't have a money pit where we were just floating and swimming in money. I was playing with GI Joes and I was, you know, playing with my record player. And I was also wishing that my dad didn't work as much so I could see him more and spend more time with him. And, you know, same with my mom, my mom was, you know, really uh, busy. I mean, she did so much for us and managed so much, but, you know, just like any kid, it's like, I want to be with my parents. I want to go on trips. I want to hang out. I used to love going to restaurants with them because it was like, Ooh, family night. And we all got to be together and, you know, I could order something. And so I think people are kind of surprised in a way, because like the projection and the ideas, well, you had everything. It's so luxurious You're around movie stars all the time. All of that was true. And a lot of the things I would say, I mean, I look back and I'm like, gosh, you know, we had a, we had a chef. I mean, something outrageous is I remember loving, I went, we went to Europe once. My dad did not fly. And so. How'd you get to Europe? <laughs> Boat? Great question. It was a three month <laughs> sojourn. <laughs> it was, and I was only six. So uh, I don't think I enjoyed it as much. <laughs> we took a train. We had a caboose of a train from here to New York, from here, from Los Angeles to New York. Then uh, in New York, we hopped aboard the QE2, the Queen Elizabeth II, huge ship to go to London, went to London, went to Paris, went around and then made our way back. And I remember in Paris, I always loved food and I got introduced to Bernays sauce like a very rich uh, emulsification of a sauce. It's basically butter, egg yolks, and tarragon. Oh, okay. You know, and salt. And it's this like thick, rich, kind of like, a you know, people put it on steak or sometimes they dip French fries in it. But I remember my mom, we were at this hotel and she ordered French fries for the whole family. And it was like this bucket of French fries. Literally, it felt like, a you know, I was little. It was like a silver bucket of French fries. And there was Bernays sauce. And I remember dipping the French fry in the Bernays and eating it and just going, oh, my gosh, what is this? So I remember once I was a teenager and we had a chef. And... um you know, my friends and I, he was like, what do you want? You know, I think he, there was a lull in his day or something. And I was like, can you make Bernays sauce? <laughs> 
And he looked at me and because it's hard. You have to keep stirring and stirring and whisking and whisking over a double boiler and all this stuff. But he, he did. And he made this big thing of Bernays sauce. And I went to McDonald's and I got like five giant things of French fries. And I sat there dipping French fries in Bernays. I made myself sick, but I sat there eating that. So there are things like that. My friend and I were talking the other day, like who has that, <laughs> right? Like amazing, fantastic luxurious things. And so much of my life, I tried to fit in because I just wanted to be normal. So much of my life, um, I tried to play against what I had because I didn't want anyone to treat me differently. I wanted to make sure that people liked me for me and not just stuff that I had or what I could do or who they thought I could introduce them to. I felt not enough in many ways. Like I'm always trying to measure to my father, who's this uber successful guy. So, you know, it's like having all of this and then the inner part of my journey is probably the same as so many people. So, so you, you probably, cause I used to think about this, if you're famous and rich or whatever, you don't really know who's using you, who want, who likes you just because like where the, where there are people who would come up to you and go, oh, can you get me a part in your dad's show? And like people at, at school, you know, <laughs> so you remember 90210. Of course. Right? I wasn't allowed to watch it. We would sneak watch <laughs> it. Sneak, sneak watch it. Because it had like, you know, sex and stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a little bit racy. <laughs> I, I loved it. I, I grew up as a fan watching it. I mean, I was addicted to it, you know, every week. It was like 90210. People wouldn't so much go, hey, could you get me a part? And if they did, it would be once it's people kind of like joking around and I would just laugh it off. Right. Cause no, I, I can't get you a part <laughs> on the show, but there would be things where when 90210 first started, it didn't catch on right away. And then toward the end of the first season, it did. And people started to come up to me at school. I was, I think I was in seventh grade and they were like, what's going to happen. What's going <laughs> to happen next week. And I said, I don't know. I'm like you, I want to know what's going to happen. And then, you know, certain storylines would play out. My sister had a storyline where she got drunk at prom and they weren't going to let her graduate. And everyone's cheering, Donna Martin graduates, Donna Martin graduates. So I walked into his, I had history first period and I walk into history. I think I was a little bit late and I'm like, oh gosh, I have to walk in late. And I walk in and, and class was in a, a double wide, that particular class was in a double wide trailer. And I remember walking up the stairs and the whole building and a shaking a little bit. And I walk in and everyone's going, Donna Martin graduates. <laughs> and I felt so embarrassed that I, I just turned bright red and sat down and put my head down. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. Um, did you go to a high school with a lot of other celebrity kids? Or was it just uh, like a normal high school? I went, so the, I, I went to seventh grade at a school called Brentwood. And then I switched schools to a school called Montclair Prep, which was in the, the one was in the city in Los Angeles, one was in the Valley. Um, and I remember there were probably a few celebrities when I went to Brentwood, one of which uh, Adam Levine went there. Oh, nice. Um, I think I maybe said hi one. I mean, you know, we didn't really know each other. 
And then uh, in Montclair, there were a few, there were a, a couple kid actors that were there. Maybe the son, oh, Robin Thicke went there, mm-hmm. the, the singer. Um, and Danny Pintaro, I think he was on. For Married with Children? No, he was on Who's the Who's Boss? The boss, okay, yes. Boss. Yeah. Um, oh, my word. <laughs> and, you know, and, and a couple others, but it, it's sort of like there was a mix of everything at that school, not yeah. just famous kids. You know, I think I heard Tony Danza actually became a teacher and left Hollywood. I think I, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what I heard because you don't yeah. really hear much about him anymore. No. I think that's, um, you know, I would hear stories of people, especially when they were kid actors or their parents who were rich and famous or whatever, and they were bullied. And I used to think, why would you be bullied for that? But it, you know, kids are kids and maybe they're jealous or you're just different. Sorry. That's okay. (laughs) And so you feel like you're abnormal. So they make fun of you for that. That must be so hard. It's I, I, I have to tell you, I got, I I don't want to say I got bullied, but there were almost a couple fights that I got in because of my last name, because of who I was, right? It was like, let's mess with him. And, and I was, I was tiny. I was like, I was always kind of tiny for my class at that time. And, um, you know, I, like I started working out at 13. So I was like, I have to protect myself. I started boxing, you know, <laughs> because I, I would get kind of picked on here and there, but also there were kids who were gay that mm-hmm. got teased and picked on. And then there was, you know, the, the quintessential, you know, nerdy kid or kids who would get picked on. And it's like, I always, I'm not saying I'm holier than thou, but I hated all of it. I never understood why that was. I never subscribed to, I mean, I would say that I was popular, but I wasn't the the lead popular because I remember the, the most, and I talk to my girls about this all the time, the most popular kid was the one who was, you know, cool and whatever, and also would make fun of people. They were, they were mean and everyone yeah. sort of glommed on to that because they didn't want to be, they didn't want to take the brunt of that. Mm-hmm. And I was the one who was going around to the different subsects of people eating lunch together in their groups, saying hi and talking to them because I just didn't understand it. I, and that's, I wish somehow, some way, Stephanie, we could figure out a way for that not to happen because being a life coach, working with people, I can't tell you how many people have a self-image of themselves based on what somebody, what a teacher said when they were in, for worked with someone the other day and they had an image of themselves based on what a second grade teacher told them. And then there's people who, you know, they got dumped by someone in eighth grade because of X, Y, and Z. And then they have an image of themselves based on that. And I'm like, wait a second. You have an image of yourself based on a teenage person who is awkward, doesn't understand the world, 
doesn't even have a developed prefrontal cortex and is trying to figure it all out and 20 years later is going to apologize and feel bad for anything that they've done and regretful. And yet this is the story that you carry around. Yep. (laughs) Well, that's what you and I were working on. Um, when I was working with you last year, because I have memories going back to when I was four of stuff. (laughs) You know, what's fascinating. You know how people will say, well, don't, don't go back to the past, which I understand don't live in the past, but I think it's important to go back to the past to understand yourself and understand what happened so you can heal and then move forward. You. Yes, there, it doesn't even make sense. So, um, you know, I'll just, I'll just share this with you. When I first got into coaching and I was taking all the courses and classes and getting my certification through the ICF, you know, one of the biggest things that is taught, especially when coaching first started, because I think it ruffled a lot of therapists feathers. It's like, well, I have to go to schooling. I have to go through <laughs> all of these, you know, boards and things and uphold these oaths. And yet here life coaches come along that, you know, charging just as much, if not more. And, you know, they're like, they have no training. Right. So the biggest distinction was don't go back to the past. Mm. And at a certain point, I was so terrified to talk about the past with people because that was what my training told me. And at a certain point I had to say, you know what? I have to set that aside because I'm here to serve people and help people and help people heal. I don't know a human being who doesn't make decisions based on their past, who doesn't have limiting beliefs and and stories and ideas. You have to go back. Now, you don't have to relive the trauma in and out and open Pandora's box, but you have to go back and update the 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 view, because oftentimes, and, and you know this too, right? Oftentimes when we look at the past, it's a picture that we hold in a frame. And every time we think of that incident or that past, we look at that one picture. And now you have the, the smartphones where, you know, if you hold the picture, the picture moves and you see three seconds before and three seconds after. Yeah. That's the work is looking at, take it from a stagnant picture to what was happening right before and what was happening right after, because people miss those times where there was a hug right after that picture, or there was something different than just that one memory that oftentimes was traumatic because the trauma is what stays with us 10 times more than all those little good moments that we forget. Right. That's so true. And do you remember when people were starting to talk more about psychology and therapy and there was like, you just want to blame your mother. I used to hear that all the time. Freudian, right? (laughs) Is that Freudian? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, then it was like, oh, that's bad. But it's fascinating because it's not like, like I'll t- I'll share with my mom certain things that I remember, and she's like, "I'm so sorry." I was like, "I don't blame you. Right. You didn't. W- there wasn't a lot of information back then. Um, you we didn't understand a whole lot. Like being highly sensitive, you know. I I would get 
very, I couldn't have a temper tantrum because I'd get a spanking, but uh, I'd be very grumpy and moody and like cry a lot. And they didn't know what to do with me, you know, like, oh, you're just grumpy all the time. And so now I'm like, oh, I was overwhelmed. I was frustrated and I hate crowds. And I just, you know, that's why. And so you you probably had a lot of sensory stuff too. Yes. So much sensory overload. And so, um, but now I, I love that we know these things. And I think, I'm a little jealous of the new generations because now they have this understanding, yes. but I'm so grateful we live in a time that we can understand it. Cause I think of generations before us who didn't know any of this and they died not knowing it. I'm like, Oh, I'm sad. <laughs> for them. I, I'm so grateful for, for so much. And, and, and I agree, right? Like people used to look at millennials and be like, Oh, they're so entitled and this and that. But I think what's interesting is take it down a generation. And take it down a generation because, you know, you look at past generation where, I mean, there were some tough generations, right? Of like, you just buck up, you just do what you need to do and what that produced. And now, you know, people are becoming aware and there's more information and they go, oh, you know, my, my son, my daughter has all of this sensory, they're sensitive, they get overwhelmed easily. There's, there are things to do. And then you look at the generation that's going to come after that. It's just more of that knowledge and understanding and self-awareness is going to be passed down to where hopefully the generational patterns trauma, abuse, uh, not knowing what to do, those will start to subside the more that people become aware. And I have to say, I'm grateful to you that, you know, I know your background, I know your upbringing, and I think it's amazing to find your way, your voice, what works for you, what doesn't And if there was something that wasn't done or something that you didn't get, which I think we all have for you to even say, I don't blame you, but I want to talk about this or I want to share this. That to me is where the healing happens so that it doesn't happen again. Right. Right. And that is, that's, we're back to the, to the, what we were saying at the beginning, having the conversation, your mom could go, could get defensive and go, I was doing the best that I could. And I remembered it differently and blah, blah, blah. Or you could say, gosh, I know I, I, I didn't do that well, or I didn't do it perfectly. Or I'm sorry that you felt that way. And that's it. Then you've changed something and you've changed the the trajectory of what is to come. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful to you. Oh, well, thank you, Randy. (laughs) Well, even in my, with my niece and my nephew, I look back at things I said to them and I get, you know, ah, you should do this. And I'm like, oh man. And I apologize to them. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I might, I think I wrote my niece a letter and she goes, why is aunt Stephanie apologizing? And my sister was like, because she realizes that in some of the things she said, you know, it might've affected you this way or hurt you. And, you know, because if you, if you don't have, and that's where you can't, it's hard to I find it hard because you don't, you want to blame people, but also can we blame them when they didn't have that level of awareness and to have that grace? Because I know so many people have so much grace with me. 
<laughs> I had so lack of awareness of anything and I would say stupid things. And so it's so yeah, hard, right? Like it's a good question. Can we blame them? Can we <laughs> unpack it for a second? Yes, let's do it. In my opinion, it's a phenomenal place to go. Um, and I don't know, I don't have an exact answer. So let's unpack this a little bit. My initial response, and I think of an Oprah quote, which I absolutely love. And she said, our parents, you know, people are doing the best they can at that exact moment. If they could have done better, they would have, right? Like if I could have done better in the moment, I probably would have, I don't want to do, I don't want to ever do a bad job right? Like who sets out to do bad or do poorly? Nobody. Well, Hitler. Right. (laughs) But he in his mind, he in his mind probably thought this is such a noble cause. Yeah. I guess I'm not condoning that. I think it's awful. You can talk yourself into so many things that you believe is. Look at cult leaders. We see it all the time. Yeah. Right. Like they, I mean, yeah. Unless they, some of them actually believe what they're saying and then some of them know exactly what they're doing. So it, yeah. That's true. Now that that's true. That's true. Um, so here's the thing. I think there is an important element. And this is going to sound really weird. There's an important step of blame. Hmm. Because what happens is usually to in order to get to forgiveness true forgiveness and acceptance there has to be a little bit of blame it's kind of the normal cycle because if there isn't blame at all usually there's some sort of bypassing so the blame can be helpful to bring up anger, to bring up expression, to bring up voice, to go, wait, you know what? That hurt. That sucked. I I didn't like that. I was angry to then get to, you know what? I get it now being older. They're do, they were doing the best that they can. I forgive them. It's really hard to go from a traumatic experience to complete acceptance and forgiveness right? It's almost like running before you can crawl. Yeah. So I think blame, short-term blame is important. Is there another word instead of blame? Like is blame the right word I'm wondering, or is it? I think people are most familiar with blame. Yeah. I think you can look at responsible or what was what was the biggest contributing factor? Well, my dad did this, or this teacher did this. That was the biggest contributing factor to me feeling the way that I feel. Right? But where blame gets stuck and repeated over and over and over again is when people blame and they can't get out of the blame cycle. Right. And they truly become victimized. I am, and think about this term, I am this way because of blank. What do you, what do you do with that? It's almost like my house is blue because the painter messed up. Now I'm stuck. 
but it's not true. You can repaint your house. Mm -hmm. It takes some work. It takes some effort. It takes some gallons of paint, but you can repaint your house. You can get someone to help you. You could do it yourself. You could take one little tiny brush at a time and keep doing strokes. And eventually your house will be repainted. And I, I look at healing and relationships as the same way. One of the, one of the best things I heard was people are living at the, the level, they're working or living at the level of awareness that they have. And so if you keep growing and under and becoming more like self-aware and stuff and somebody's down here, that's all they know. And so you might know differently, but they're doing the best that they can. Exactly. Now, I understand that because, yeah, I was always, I was like that for so many years and just what I was always trying to understand. Why are people like saying this and you, you know, uh, but I wanted to learn. So my frustration is people who think they know everything and they don't want to learn. They just think that they're, they're very, pr- I know some people like this, they're very proud and like, I know everything. And so that's where I get kind of annoyed. I'm like, oh, you don't even have. You can't even acknowledge that there's something that you can learn. From. <laughs> so, and then yeah, they hurt, they go on to hurt people too, because yeah. Well, because there's not an, there isn't an openness. There isn't right. a willingness and there's no, there, there's no humility. There's no, uh, the, the humble meter is not there. And I think in any relationship, the second that someone stops listening you're not in a conversation at all. You're in statements. Yeah. You're in regurgitation. <laughs> you're there, there's no, Hey, well, what do you think about this? Right. You know, there's yeah, no questions so being asked. It's just, this is the way that it is. And unfortunately the people who get hurt the most by that is themselves because at some point someone realizes this is a dead end street. And a lot of times people just separate themselves from those people because they're like, I, I, there's no room here. No, no one is listening or seeing me. Why am I going to continue to do that? And at the end of the day, that person, it can probably feel pretty lonely, even in their righteousness. It, it can be pretty lonely. And I think there may come a time, hopefully in, in their immediate lifetime, right? Um, and if there are other lifetimes, maybe they learn it then, right? But in, in the immediate lifetime, if, uh, if unfortunately, if they get a disease or they're closer to death and their mortality, perhaps there's an opening or a thought that goes, I wish I was closer. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have done things a little bit differently. And sometimes, unfortunately, it takes those things to have that moment of awareness. Well, and that comes also down to what we were talking previously about the law of attraction, where like attracts like. So if you're, and I, I've noticed this in my own life, when I was super negative and angry at everything, I would attract those other people so we could complain together. And then I noticed my friends that were more positive, they kind of back away and like, okay. And I was like, why, why? Oh, now they're not my friend anymore. And so then you also notice there is that sameness. Like, so when somebody is, is like 
holding firm and they're not, they refuse to talk to people and they just want to talk at you, people are going to start leaving them. And then they're like, where did everyone go? And then they might meet other people who are similar to them. And then they hold more steadfast in their beliefs. And so, because, yeah, um, yeah, I have, I have situations like that. So <laughs> it's like, oh, so it's true. How because do you, How do you navigate? What, what do you find works best for you? Uh, learning. Well, I'm learning how to have more peace when somebody's very angry or talking at me. I'm learning to have, find that peace inside of myself instead, because I would always just get super anxious and I'd be like, uh, right. you know, upset. And like, um, and then I like cry because that's how I release tension or whatever. So I'm kind of learning through meditation and different things. And there's a, oh, there's a Hawaiian prayer. Is it like Hapono? Hapono Pono? Yeah, I always say it wrong. Yeah. And I went to see somebody and she was mentioning that. And I was like, oh my word. Um, what was it? I, I, ah, I'm sorry. Please, Please forgive, forgive me. me. I thank, thank you. you. I love I you. Love you. And repeating that over and over in your mind. Well, then there's one other part that I think is the most beautiful. Oh, okay. May I add? Yeah. The other part that I know. I release in me, which causes that in you. Mm. That's part of it. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. So um, I, I, I think that's the saying. And I think something that's so beautiful about that is first the 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 first four you know please forgive me i'm sorry please forgive me thank you i love you super humble super open vulnerable and the other is i release in me what causes that in you so we look at law of attraction if there's something in you that part of you that is also in that person. Like we all have those parts, whether they're active or not. And so you can't release something from another person. That's not your job or your business, mm-hmm. but you can release any part of you. So if, if, if that per that character in your life is, is playing that role over and over and over again, you also have, have contributed to making them that role so when you release in you what causes that in them, it's, it's again, another wave of healing and something that you can do to self-heal that helps to release them. Mm, that's good. Well, thank you. I, I hadn't heard that part. Do you have a few more minutes or do you have to go? Yeah, I have a few more minutes. Okay. I, I have like five minutes. I did want to ask you a question. Yeah. Um, so dealing with the media and the tabloids. Mm -hmm. And there was a situation last year that I remember I asked you about, and you said, it's hard to be famous. And it's, and I, cause I was thinking, how do people deal with this? And you went through, I mean, how do, I don't really know what I'm asking, but just like, you have an understanding of what it's like for people to know to say things about you, to make up things, to know family business. Like, how yeah. do you work through that? How does that, that must affect people. So, especially if you don't know yourself enough, like if you don't have enough. It's really 
difficult. And I think it's so easy to look at celebrities, no matter what kind of celebrities, people who are known. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And judge. Yeah. And and compare to them. And being in a spotlight 24-7, walking into a place and having people know you and recognize you and act differently is such a head trip because we all know the ego, right? We're somewhat aware of it. Now think of if you're even slightly self-conscious and you walk into a place and no one knows you, think of now you walk into a place and everybody knows you. Everyone is scrutinizing what you're wearing, how you're acting, how what you look like, what you're saying, you know, and and then knowing that that could wind up somewhere. Oh, the tabloid pictures of, of women without their makeup. Right. Totally. So here, here's the hardest part from my opinion, and I'll break this down really easily. You have to be outside of yourself. Now you don't have to be the trick is to stay within, but if you're aware that everyone else is looking at you, your awareness is not in here anymore. Your awareness is out there looking at you going, how are people perceiving me in this moment? What am I looking like? So you're always walking around with one aspect of yourself watching you. That is a head, you know what? Mm, Yeah. So it is hard. And I think some people handle it really well. There are plenty of celebrities that you just don't really see in the media. Look at someone like Meryl Streep, right? Mm. Tom Hanks. Uh, Tom Hanks. Yeah. You don't don't really see these people in media. Then you see these other celebrities where that's part of their business. That's part of their persona, but it's hard. There's a reason why these people go through hardships. And I think people don't understand that because they only look at what they have and how glamorous it is without realizing it's really a head trip to have to live like that every single day. Well, I was watching, I don't know, the, bleh, I was watching stuff on Netflix. There was the Andy Warhol Diaries and then also Halston. <laughs> I was all about, you know, Studio 54 in New York and all the yeah. tortured artists. I don't know which one it was, but somebody said only a certain few people can really handle fame. The rest of them are tortured, you know, and they tortured. they get into alcohol and drugs and sex and like all sorts of things just to find something that makes them feel better. And I feel so sad for those, especially in the olden days, you know, the 60s and 70s. And, and you know, you, you just see so many people who die young because they overdose or and yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm so sad for you. And Andy Warhol, he believed he was just such a freak all the time and. You know, you hear her story and he was tortured. I'm like, oh, I'm so sad that he felt like that. He never felt good enough. And you know, I know. So. that's that's where I hope that life coaching, any sort of healing modalities, listening to this podcast, like there's so therapy, there's so many avenues where that can help people now. 
that I hope that that can happen less and less as people know they can reach out to someone, they can talk to someone. There's a way beyond that. And, um, you know, the human experience is hard, right? I mean, if you look at older age, right, not everyone has to go like this, but if you look at older age, it's kind of cruel, right? It's like everyone celebrates coming onto the planet. It's like, oh, we had a baby, we had a baby, and oh my gosh, it's so amazing. And then, you know, you look at old age and it's like the system's shutting down and people are in pain and it's hard. It's like, it's very, the human experience can be a bit torturous anyway. Mm-hmm. Any ways that we can make it less torturous, more beautiful, more fun while embracing the hard aspects of life. You know, it's like if everyone focus on life can be kind of hard and brutal at times. I feel that that's a shared sense of humanity where it's like, Stephanie, I don't really mind what you believe in, even if it's different than me. Like, I love you as a human being because we're here together and the shit is hard sometimes, right? (laughs) So like, I get it. And I think if more people could look at it like that, and even in a way be closer to death, all the stupid stuff that people focus on and get up in arms and end relationships over because someone voted for this person or someone believes in this. or It's like, please, we're here for such a short time. Let's embrace it and love each other as best we can. And find that balance because you have, you do have people like the toxic positivity, right? Where it's like, just be happy, just forgive, just, and you're like, you also need to, um lament with people in their pain right and so it's not just like be happy it's like we're also hurting so the pain uh, is important that's what i'm saying even yeah. blame it's a stepping stone if you stop at blame you miss the rest of the beautiful hike right right the same thing pain if you stop at pain if you get stuck in pain there are problems but through the pain is an incredible vantage point. Through the pain, you get to become who you're here to be because that's part of your growth. That's part of your understanding. That's part of your makeup, so to speak, for you to go, I understand this. Now I have a deeper sense of self. Now I have compassion. I'm able to have compassion because I've been through that pain. I'm able to have empathy because I've been through the pain. If someone hasn't been through the pain, it's really hard to have compassion and empathy and understanding and acceptance and forgiveness because you don't know what it's like. So it serves a purpose just not to get stuck there. Right. Just like with everything, anger, let me be angry. I'm not staying there, but it's part of the process, right? Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Randy. As always, it's a pleasure. And uh, I learned, you're so wise. I learned so much from you. And thank you. You're amazing. Likewise, I always learn so much. It's always a joy to talk to you. Um, And I'm so glad I got to close out season two. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) If you want to help support the podcast, You can subscribe, rate, and review as it helps other people to find the podcast and listen as well. There is also, financially, if you want to help support the podcast, you can check out buymeacoffee.com backslash stuffapodcast.
Come follow me on the socials on Twitter at Steph underscore Ann underscore web on Instagram, Stephanie underscore Ann underscore web. And you can check out my website, www.stephanieandweb.com, where you can check out the podcast, my blog, and I also have a link on there to buy my children's book, What Should Dragon Do? The main character in the book is called Dragon and her adventures living with her two bear roommates. The book consists of three little stories of different circumstances, living with people, and how the tiny things can drive us crazy, and our emotions, and how we react can affect others. I appreciate you. I thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye!